We're in a brand new series called Overwhelmed. I don't know if you've ever gone through a season like that or you felt like that, but this morning I am kicking off a new series called Overwhelmed. If you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, you can turn with me uh, to Job chapter 1. Uh, Job chapter 1, Job chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. And uh, so you either turn in with an old school Bible or you can have a, uh, your iPad or a smartphone, a tablet, whatever. However you get God's word, if you would turn to Job chapter 1 with me, we're going to look at this subject of overwhelm. And by the way, if you're following along this morning using version, um, uh, there's going to be a lot of extra scriptures in version that I'm going to read, but that'll, that'll give you stuff for later uh, that you could read through. So we're in this new series called Overwhelmed, and we're looking at this subject of what happens in your life or how to handle those times in your life where, you, where you've been overwhelmed. Um, my guess is that all of us have gone through a time in our life where we've just felt like this felt like we're just overwhelmed. In other words, we, we don't even know what to do. We don't even know where to start. And I'm telling you that when you go through those seasons of life to where you feel overwhelmed, uh, that's when your spiritual disciplines in life are going to be the most important to you. It's those spiritual disciplines that you build in the good times of life that carry you th sometimes through those difficult times of life. When you go through those overwhelming experiences, and it, it may be a loss of a loved one, it may be a, a, a loss of a relationship, it may be a loss of a job, it may be loss of health or finances, it may be when you hear those words like, like um, there's, there's a, a reduction in the, in the department and your job is no longer needed. And so it can come out of all of those things. And there's something about a season. When you enter into a season of being overwhelmed, it comes without any notice, right? I mean, the day starts off just like any other day. And then something happens. The unexpected happens. And that's what we're looking at this morning. So if you'll follow along with me, Job chapter 1, verse 1. Here's what the scripture says about Job's life. There was a man in the, in the land of Uz, and so Uz uh, is, is, is located in modern day. It's between, somewhere between Iraq and Saudi Arabia. And so that just kind of gives you an idea where it is. Whose name was Job, so now we know his name. We're going to find out a lot about him, and this is so important. And so his name was Job, and that, and that man was blameless and upright, so it, it doesn't mean that he was perfect. It doesn't mean that he was without sin. It means that, that he, was a, he was a follower of God. It means that he did everything he could to try to follow God. And so one who feared God, so now we know that he was a wholehearted worshiper. At heart, he was a worshiper and turned away from evil. There was born to him, now we're going to find out about his family. There was born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. So now we know he's wealthy. So that this man was the greatest of all the people in the East. So in, in that brief three verses, we learned a lot about Job. Uh, he loved his family. He, he, he deeply was devoted to his family. He was devoted to God. Uh, he was very, very successful. He had a lot of things. He had, a, he had a corporation. He had a business. And that Job was a good man. And the book of Job helps us to understand, just so we're tracking, helps us understand that, good, uh, that, that bad things happen to good people. The book of Job helps us just to understand that thought and that, 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 that theological truth, that good things or that bad things happen to good people. And then he goes on in verse 4, we'll find out a little bit more about it. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on, on his day. They would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning 
and offer burnt offerings according to their number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus, Job did this continually. In other words, he had spiritual disciplines. He got up early in the morning. He life journaled. Uh, he, he, you, you got that right? So Job life journaled. And so, uh, so he got up in the morning, he life journaled, he read scripture, he prayed, he cared deeply about his family, he cared deeply about his kids, he wanted to hand his faith off to his children, he prayed for them, he prayed for his family, he prayed for his wife, and so Job was a good man. And so the book of Job helps us to understand this issue of that just because you're a follower of God, it does not exempt you from pain, it does not exempt you from, from problems. And so I want to give you three things this morning about how, how to handle it when the unexpected happens, how to handle it when we go through those seasons of life when we're just overwhelmed and we don't even know what to do, we don't even know where to start. The first thing is this, that you've just got to understand life is not fair, so don't expect it to be. Life is not fair, so don't expect it to be. If you believe that life should be fair, then you will, you will become discouraged and you will become very cynical in life. A lot of times when we go through those seasons of overwhelming circumstances or we go through those seasons of when the unexpected happens, we start asking those questions like, why is this happening to me? I, I, I don't even deserve this. And then maybe we start looking around and we start looking at other people and we start looking at other families and we start saying things like, you know what? They're, they're not even a Christian. They, they don't even go to church. And it seems like their life is blessed. It seems like everything works out well for them. And it seems like nothing works out for me. See, when you look at this issue of, of, of hurt and pain or suffering, you see, if we're not careful, suffering offends our sense of justice. We, we, we look at someone else and we begin to compare our life with someone else. And we can think things that it just seems like everything works out well for them. And they don't even know Christ. The fact is, they deny him. I mean, why is it? Why is it that good couples who desire to have a child, who desire to get pregnant, for whatever reason, can't? And there's some that don't even want children or shouldn't even have children. And they're the ones that get pregnant. Why is it? That I, I work hard just to make a living and turn a profit. It seems like I'm just seems like I'm just scraping by. And there's others that run their businesses almost unethically or illegally. And it seems like they're getting blessed, and I'm and I'm bar bar barely making it. See, when you start looking at Scripture, you realize that that good people suffer. See, this issue of suffering offends our sense of justice or what we believe justice is, and. And when you, when you look at the book of Job, you realize that Job was like the best of the best, and yet he suffered. And no matter how good you are, you're going to go through overwhelming circumstances, and you're going to go through difficult difficulties. So life isn't fair, so don't expect it to be, because being a Christ follower doesn't exempt us from suffering and pain. When you look at Scripture, you realize that pain is not distributed in direct proportion to the amount of sin in a person's life. Jesus, Jesus said this. Jesus said that it rains on the just and the unjust. I mean, if, if, we were, if, if righteousness or if righteous living exempted us from suffering, then our motivation for obedience would be out of this issue of greed, issue of selfishness, 
And, and so if you come to the place to where you think life is going to, it should be fair and life is fair, then you should just read through the gospels when you go home and just, and when you get to the cross, when you get to the life of Jesus, the cross will demolish that belief that life is fair. And so don't expect it to be. So verse six, as we just carry on in the story. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. And so the Bible says currently Satan is the accuser of the brethren. We'll talk about that. But, but Satan roams the earth looking for people who like, like a roaring lion, looking for people whom he can devour. And so the Bible gives us some definitions. It gives us some titles of Satan. The Bible tells us that he's the prince of the world. Uh, the, the, the Bible also tells us that he's the accuser of the brethren. Uh, you see in this story that he continually is con accusing Job in the, in, the, in the face of God and that Satan is accuser of the brethren. And that's why we should be very careful when you accuse other Christians, when we're continually talking about other Christians and we're continually criticizing other Christians because you're not an, uh, emulating the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so the story goes on, verse 8. And so the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and unright man? This is what God said. And who fears God and turns away from evil. Now listen, when I, when I read through this story for the first time, I just had a conversation with God. And I said, you know what, God? If it's okay with you, never bring my name up in front of Satan. <laughs> you know what? Now, I, I don't care how faithful I am and all that other stuff. I would just, just between us, I'd just really appreciate it. If you'd never look at Satan and says, hey, have you ever considered my servant Charlie? Just leave my name out. So, so verse 9, then Satan answered the Lord and said, here's a huge question for every one of us to settle in our life. Does Job fear God for no reason? In other words, you know what Satan's question is? Lord, would Job serve you for nothing? Would Job serve you if you quit blessing him? You quit blessing your home, his home? You're blessing his business, his income, his relationships, his family, his friends? If you, if you stripped all of that away, in other words, what, what Satan's asking, why does, Job, why does Job bless you? Why does Job worship you? Every one of us has to answer that question. Would I, serve, would I continue to serve God if he didn't bless me? Do you serve him now? In the midst of all of his blessings, in the midst of all the things that he does for you. See, Satan is saying, Satan, here's the argument. Satan is saying, the only reason Job serves you, telling you, is because you bless him. Verse 10, have you not put a hedge around him in, in his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions and you increased in the land, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. When God created the world, there was, there was no pain. And sin was introduced into the world uh, through Adam's sin and and all pain, we know just theologically, all pain is a result of, of either my sin or your sin or our sin. Uh, Satan is the originator, originator of suffering 
And, uh, and Satan is the one that is saying, no wonder Job is so good. And, and no wonder Job worships you is because you are so good to him. And you've you blessed his family. You've blessed his business. You've blessed his income. And, but God, you change all that. You change all that. He's not going to worship you. You know, the argument is, is the only reason people worship you is because you bless them. So the first thing is this, is life is not fair. So don't expect it to be the second principle. If you're going to get through overwhelming circumstances, the second principle is this. God is in control of your life, so trust him. God is in control of your life, so trust him. God is still in control of Job's life. Uh, God is, is having this conversation with Satan. He's putting limits on, on what Satan can do in Job's life. Uh, everything that comes into Job's life is sifted through the, uh, through, through the Father's hand. In other words, everything that comes through uh, into Job's life comes by the permission of God. I don't know about you, but th that's given me a lot of comfort in my life. That's given me a lot of comfort that when I've gone through overwhelming circumstances, or I've gone through overwhelming seasons of my life, just to remember that theological fact that, you know what, God, God's sovereign and God's in control. And I may not understand it. And I, you know what, I may not even like it. I may not even agree with it, but God, but God's in control. God's in control of my life. Uh, I've gone through an overwhelming uh, 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 set of circumstances with, with the, the death of my father on April the 27th. I uh, finished a 1045 service, and we're getting ready to come out for the 1230 service, and, and I get a call on my cell phone from my sister. And so, so I knew that if my sister called during, during uh, Sunday morning hours, that it, it had to be an emergency. And so I, I, took the, I took the call right over here in the room next to the, the platform, and, and I said hello, and my sister said, um, my, my, your dad has collapsed in, in his bedroom. Uh, Mom dialed 911. They're on the way to the, the, the hospital, and it doesn't look good. And uh, I went from there out here and worshiped. And you know, when you go through those overwhelming circumstances, it's reassuring to know that God, God's in control. And God is, God is sovereign. And I may not, I may not like, thank you. Uh, I, may not, I may not like the timing. I may not like the situation. But everything that comes into my life as a Christ follower is sifted through his fingers and sifted through his hands. Listen, let me just tell you, just so, because so many of you, I have conversations with you, and you, you've come out of, of spiritual backgrounds that where there was, there was just a lot of guilt. And I want to help you. And I just want you to know that your suffering does not mean that God is upset with you. Your suffering does not mean that he's upset with you. It doesn't mean he's getting even with you. It doesn't mean that he's punishing you. Listen, God may be putting you in a position of desperation to get you to surrender all to him. That's really what he was doing in the life of Job. Job, the book of Job, yes, there's suffering involved, but the jo book of Job is about this issue of the sovereignty of God. This book, the book of Job is about worshiping him. And a lot of times God will take suffering in our life so it'll put us in a position of desperation so that we will just surrender all to him. This is what is happening in Job's life. We could jump ahead and we could read the final chapter of Job's life and we will get there. And you will realize that there were some things that Job was withholding from God. And God was bringing him into a position to where he would surrender all to him. Now, verse 12, and the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has in your hand. 
Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So, so God gave him some limits. God gave him some boundaries that Satan couldn't cross and, uh, uh, to, to Tim Job. And so to take him through this, this overwhelming season. Psalm 34, 18 tells us, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and, and saves the crushed in spirit. Listen, I'm telling you, when you go through overwhelming experiences, when you go through overwhelming situations in life, it becomes critical that you pull close to God. It becomes critical that you turn to Him. I mean, what options do you have? Isn't that what Simon Peter said in the gospel? Jesus turned to the disciples and said, you guys going to leave me too? And Simon Peter's like, well, where, where would we go? I mean, where would we go? Who would minister to us like you do? Listen, knowing that God is in control and we may not understand it gives us some reassurance. Listen, God is, was, was aware of everything that Job was going through. He was aware that everything that he was walking through. And can I just tell you this? God is aware of everything that you're walking through this morning. He's aware of those challenges. He's aware of the seasons of life. He's aware of the difficulties. He's aware of the emotion. He's aware of all of that. God is aware of everything you're walking through right now. And when you look at Job's life, you, he had this, this, this realization of who God was. Is and He had this, 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 these principles of worship. And he understood, listen, listen God was taking him through a test. When, when engineers design a, design a, design a bridge, uh, and they, they have to certify it before they can allow traffic to go over that bridge, or a building before a building is, is, is built, and it gets, a, it gets the certificate of, of occupancy. It has to be tested. The test is not designed to break the bridge. The test is not designed uh, to break the building. The test is designed to make sure that the bridge can handle the weight that it's designed for. And when God tests you, it is not to destroy you. It is not to, to hurt you. Is not to bring destruction into your life, but is to bring you to that place to you understand who you are in Christ and who he is. Sometimes God allows us to go through seasons of trials or seasons of suffering for maybe one of three reasons. The first one is this, to mature us. I'm not going to read these verses. I'll give you these verses. You can write these verses down. But the scripture says this, is that sometimes God allows us to go through uh, trials, go through suffering, to test us, to mature us, to develop us. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 3 through 5 is a, is a biblical reference. That sometimes that we go through suffering to develop us, to mature us. I don't know about you, but through times of suffering in my life, I have matured more during those times than any other time in my life. To where there's some things that had to be stripped away in my life in that sense of desperation that I had to surrender even more to him. Another reason that God allows suffering in our life is, is to comfort others. Uh, it is the comfort of others. Second uh, Corinthians chapter one, verse four, the scripture talks about suffering in life and that, that sometimes we go through suffering so that we can have a minister to ministry to those who have suffered to where we can minister to others with the same, uh, um, the same love and compassion that God had showed us. There, there, there's ministry after ministry in this church that have been birthed out of someone's hurt and pain to where they wanted to minister to others that have gone through the same situation that they have. And they found healing in their suffering. They want to bring healing to others. Another reason that God allows suffering in our life is to test us. James 1.12 tells us that sometimes God allows suffering in our life just to test us because a test gives you an opportunity. 
uh, to demonstrate the knowledge that you have, to demonstrate the knowledge that you have to be rewarded. And so the better prepared you and I are for a test, the better we get through it. And when life is difficult, it, it, it provides for us an opportunity to prove our strong faith in who we are in Christ. Listen, so that we know that our faith is genuine. I'm telling you, this world needs to see Christians. They can go through suffering. They can go through overwhelming circumstances and still honor and praise him. <clears throat> the scripture goes on in Job chapter 1, verse 13. Here's what the scripture says. Now, there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing, the donkeys were feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, and in, in the Hebrew, that's just, a, that's just a way to say that, you know what? This started very quickly. This morning started out just like any other morning in Job's life, and all of a sudden he gets, he gets one... Uh, bit of bad news after another here's the second one verse 16 while he was yet speaking there came another and said the fire of god fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them and i alone have escaped to tell you and while he was yet speaking then came another and said the chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down uh, the servants with the edge of the sword and i alone have escaped to tell you all of a sudden life begin to just suddenly fall apart for Job. The unexpected began to happen. Job was once worth millions. He was one of the most successful men in his region, in his area. And all of a sudden, he's losing his business. He's losing his income. He's no longer one of the wealthiest people. He's penniless. And, and in their day, there was no insurance. There's no insurance. There's no retirement. There was no protection. Verse 18, and wh while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and, and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell among the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. In other words, he's lost his family. He's lost his children. I don't think there could be any worse thing than for a parent to lose a child. And it may have troubled Job about the spiritual salvation of his children. Verse 20. Then Job rose, and so watch what he does. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, see, worship is not just something you think. Worship is just not something that's in your heart. Worship is something that you do. It's an action. I mean, this word worship in the Hebrew means that he just, he actually bowed down, which is, which is a form of worship. But worship is more than just what's in your heart. Worship is more than just what you're thinking. Worship is something that you do. And so all of a sudden, Job understands the principles of worship. And guess what? All the way through the book of Job are just one principle after another. It's the issue of worship. In verse 21, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge, charge God 
with any wrong. In other words, Job had this realistic faith. Job understood these principles of worship and Job understood what to do when the unexpected happens, what to do when you're overwhelmed in life. And that brings us to the third and the last principle, and that is this. Everything I have belongs to God, so worship him. Everything I have belongs to God, so we should worship him. In other words, Job didn't respond by shaking his fist at God and getting mad at God. He didn't, he didn't respond by accusing God. Job understood the power of worship. Let me just so we're tracking this morning. Worship is an expression. If it is not expressed, it is not worshiped. When you listen, the most important thing for you and I to do is to understand this issue of worship. Because if you will enter his courts with praise, he will enter your problems with power. If you will learn this principle of worship and what it means to worship him, and just the power of worship, and the power of making a declaration, and the power of Job just able to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and he takes away. And God is sovereign. I'm telling you, worship is worship is something that it's something that we express. In other words, this is not worship, right? Or this? Or checking text. Man, worship is, worship is an expression. We know that in relationships, right? I mean, when I get home in the evening, can you imagine if, if Karen's in the kitchen and I walk in the kitchen, I stick my hands in my pocket and I just stare at her? That'd be kind of creepy, right? <laughs> and finally, Karen says, you know, what are you doing? And I'm like, praising you in my heart, baby. <laughs> I think you're beautiful. I'm, that's what I'm thinking. I think you're beautiful. I think you're awesome. Just praising you in my heart. Is that any good? No, that's creepy, right? I mean, it has to be expressed. We understand that in marriage. We understand it in relationships. And guess what? The same is with God. Worship is something. Worship is something that is expressed. It is something that is said. It is something that is sung. It, it is something that is done. It is an expression of our love and our gratitude to, for him. And I'm telling you, if you will come to that place in your life and you will say, you know what? I'm going to worship him and I'm going to express my love and I'm going to express my devotion. Because listen, everything that I have is his. Everything that I have belongs to him. And so we worship him. There are a lot of people that will tell you, wait, wait, wait a minute, you don't understand. You don't understand what my week was like. You don't understand what I'm going through. I'm overwhelmed. Uh, the unexpected happened, all of those other things. I don't feel like worshiping. Can I just tell you this? When you don't feel like worshiping, that's when you need to worship the most. That's when you need to enter his, his, his courts with praise. And he will enter your problems with power. Worship, I'm telling you, worship is a weapon. Worship is an offensive weapon. And the scripture talks about it. it's his battle, not ours. Worship invites him in to fight on your behalf. I mean, when you look at this issue of Job, and let's just read it one more time. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with any wrong. At this point, does Job have a word from God? No. Has God done anything in this situation that Job is praising him for? No. Listen, we don't praise God for our circumstances. We don't praise God for the blessing. We praise God ultimately for who he is. We praise him for who he is. We praise him for his character. Even when we see that he's, even when we can't see that he's working and what he's doing, yes, it's true. We know the whole story. Job didn't have the book of Job. Job didn't know what was going on. Job didn't know that God was working on his behalf. And even when we can't see God working, even when we're overwhelmed, even when the unexpected happens, we praise him. Because when we enter his courts with praise, he enters our problems with power. In other words, worship is like, it's a declaration. Worship is a statement of faith. Verse 3, and the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There he goes again. And there is none like him on the earth, blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Verse 4, then Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for sin, skin. All that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. Job still hasn't reached the worst part of his struggle. And we know this. We know that Satan, by this story, is not all-knowing. Because Satan believed the only reason Job worships you is because of what you've done for him. And all of a sudden he takes his health, verse 6, and the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, struck Job with some loathsome sores in the, from the sole of his feet, foot to the crown of his head, and he took a piece of broken pottery which, with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes, and Job's pain is now intense. And now he's going to have some relational problems, and he says, verse 9, then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of those foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his, with his lips. Let's just stop right there. Um, let's don't be too hard on Mrs. Job. Every commentary I've read, hard on Job, Job's wife. Sermons I've heard, books I've read, people are very, very hard on Job's life. So, so let's don't be too hard on Mrs. Job. Let's remember. In a day, she lost her home. She lost the vacation home. She lost their possessions, their cars. She lost children, lost their income, and then she walks in, and her husband is very, very ill. Job looks at her and says, when you said that thing, curse God and die, that's not even like you. I mean, you're talking like one of those other women. You're, you're not even talking, so it even... So it even surprised Job, his wife's response. You know, it's interesting to me. There's, 
There's not a place in Scripture where you realize that after this tragedy that Job's wife worshipped with him. I wonder if this is the picture of one that worships through an overwhelming circumstance and one who doesn't. There's a difference between Job and his wife. No matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult the struggle, you have to learn to worship God in the midst of your struggle. Finding things that finding things that you can be thankful for and praising Him and worshiping Him because of who He is, because of His character. And there are some, th some things we go through we may not understand. But He's in control of our lives. See, we think the worst thing that an individual can experience is pain. And that's not the worst thing. The worst thing that a person can experience is not knowing Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. That's the worst thing. Not having eternal life. Not having relationship with Him. See, this life is momentary. This life is temporary. At best, 70, 80 years. This life is so brief compared to eternity. Listen, praise helps us see this life through heaven's eyes. That's why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. For this light, momentary afflictions is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Praise and worship helps us to see this life through heaven's eyes. So one of the reasons that we worship through the Lord's Supper or we worship through communion as we prepare to take of the bread and we prepare to take of the juice to this morning as a church family. One of the reasons that we do this, one of the reasons that Jesus asked the church or Jesus told the church to worship through communion, it's a remembrance. It's a remembrance of his character. It's a remembrance of who he is. It's a remembrance that he was sovereign. He is in control. And he went to the cross for us and he bled and he died on a cross so that we could have forgiveness of sin. In just a few minutes, the, the ushers are going to begin passing out the bread and the juice. And so there's a, a plate that's going to pass by in front of you. And it's going to have two cups, one on top of the other. Uh, you'll pull both cups off. Uh, you'll pass the plate to the person next to you. And then you'll hold the bread and the juice in your hand until we take together as a church family. Scripture says this. The Scripture says before we take of the bread and we take of the juice, we're to examine our life. We examine who we are before him. Maybe this morning before you take of the bread and you take of the juice, maybe you'd ask yourself that question. God, would I serve you for nothing? Would I worship you? Do I follow you? Regardless of what you do for me, 
but I follow you because of who you are, because of eternal life. Would you sit before him before we take of the bread and we take of the juice? finished the book of Ephesians last week we ended with this this word this promise peace be with you dear brothers and sisters and may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you love with faithfulness may God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ we come to this time and the bread and the juice are symbolic of the, the body and the blood of Christ now the scripture teaches this that he offered his body willingly for our sacrifice that nobody took his life that he laid his life down willingly for us so that we could have eternal life and so we worship him because of who he is we worship him because of his character we worship him because of his sacrifice for us father we thank you for this morning and father we thank you for your love and we thank you for your grace and father we thank you for the sacrifice on our behalf for our sins that you who knew no sin the perfect one the Messiah became sin for us and you died and on the third day you rose again so that we could have victory over our sin that we could have freedom from the past and so father we thank you for that today for we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Would you take with me, please? The scripture teaches also that without the shedding of blood, there'd be no forgiveness of sin. And because Jesus Christ bled and died on the cross, there's forgiveness in his blood. And that in Him, we're complete. In Him, we are deeply loved. In Him, we are, we're perfect. God is cr credited to our spiritual account 
the righteousness of Christ. In other words, we're in right standing with him because of the cross. So we thank him this day for the forgiveness of our sins. Father, we thank you for the shedding of your son's blood on the cross. And Father, we thank you that we're totally and completely forgiven. And that we can stand in right standing with you. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you take with me, please? Let me ask you, what is God saying to you? A result of his word? As a result of this message? What is God speaking into your life? Let me ask you again, do you, do you fear God? Do you worship him? Because of what he does for you? If he pulled all of that away, would you continue to serve him? Would you continue to worship him? Maybe this morning you, you say, you know what, I, I'm just carrying a burden. I just need prayer. I just need someone to pray for me. Well, we want to pray for you. We really do. If you're carrying a burden in your life and you say, you know what, I, I just need someone to lift that burden. I just, I just need someone to pray for me. And here's what we're going to ask you to do. In just a few moments, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to stand. And if you need prayer in any area of your life, whether it's a medical issue, a financial issue, a relational issue, maybe you're trying to discern the future, maybe you have a burden that has nothing to do with what I've talked about. That's okay, too. Maybe you're walking through an overwhelming circumstance and situation in your life right now. And you say, you know, I just need someone to add their faith to my faith. I just need someone just to pray for me. We have story after story what God has done in the front of this room when people just humbled themselves and responded to him. So if you need prayer in any area of your life, after I pray, we stand. As you stand, you just step out, begin making your way down the front. We'd love to pray for you. We really would. So you come if you need prayer. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your love and we thank you for your grace. And Father, we thank you for the power of your name and the power of prayer. And so Father, we just ask that we administer one to another this morning. And that people would know that they have met with you and they'd receive comfort and support and encouragement this day. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.